gotten off the phone with one member of the New York City Council talking about violence and policing and community investment in Brownsville. And now we are going to bring on another member of the New York City Council to talk about uh, another set of, of issues. Yeah, we're going to be joined momentarily by City Council Member Brad Lander, also of Brooklyn, who um, really has had his hands in a few different pressing issues from uh, legislation he's working on related to uh, reckless drivers in the city. We've seen a lot more attention on use of the streets, uh, this uptick in cyclists and pedestrian fatalities and uh, injuries that we've had. So Council Member Lander's been working on that issue, but then also uh, big uh, other citywide issues uh, related to planning and housing and school desegregation. So we're going to bring Councilmember Lander on to discuss some of those issues and more. And let's bring Councilmember Lander on now. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. And, and props to my colleague, Alika Amprey-Samuel. And obviously our hearts go out to her and her community and the leadership that she is providing and the way people are coming together is, is really inspiring. So thanks for having her on as well. Indeed, yeah. There's been, um, you know, we didn't even get to all the details with her about how the community has responded, and um, you know, really, people have have come together over the last uh, few days to to bring a lot of uh, folks together to talk about the path ahead. Um, in terms of your work, Councilmember Lander, uh, let's start with um, this issue of of better planning in the city. How do you boil down for listeners? They're not like us, uh, Jarrett, myself, you, who are, you know, every day uh, taking stock of the, you know, the blood and guts of city government. Um, but what is what is the, the need that you're pointing to? Yeah. Well, we really saw it last week. You didn't need to be, you know, a planning wonk last week to notice that we had blackouts and street flooding and jails that were too hot to have, have human beings in and subway failures right and left. Our, our infrastructure is straining. Um, our city continues to grow. People keep coming here and we're not really making good plans to deal with it. So on the challenges of affordability, on the challenges of infrastructure, on the challenges of climate, uh, our current planning process is not up to the task. And, you know, last week we really saw that play out right before our eyes even as this Charter Revision Commission that could have said, let's put some new processes in place to deal with the long-term future of our city, voted not to. Talk about the approach that you would like to see. I think people are familiar with the way the city does quote-unquote planning now. It's the Euler process. You have a proposal for a particular parcel or even a neighborhood or rezoning or some other change. It goes through a process. It's um, usually ultimately approved. There's some amendments, and and there you have it. Uh, tends to move kind of issue by issue, neighborhood by neighborhood, or even block by block. Uh, what you're talking about, I think, is something very different. How would that, how would that work? Yeah. Uh, let me say a little more about what I think is failing, and then I'll talk about this idea for comprehensive planning that um, Councilmember Antonio Reynoso and a big coalition of, of grassroots and community groups, and we have proposed. You know, but right now the city uses ULERP, the Uniform Land Use Review Procedure, which was codified in 1975 when our city's challenge was really abandonment much more than growth, just a totally different time. And it is, as you say, a project-by-project project and reactive process. So a developer comes forward and says, I'd like to make this change. Let's consider it. Or City Hall says, hey, we picked that neighborhood uh, for a proposal, and we don't have to really kind of tell you why or where that fits in with anything bigger, and we're going to move through. And, of course, that kind of reactive process first is bereft of real strategic 
citywide vision or shared goals or values or even any connection just to our long-term infrastructure and capital planning. So that's a bad place to start. But it also just lands in this shrill tug of war where whatever the development interest is in that neighborhood is pushing to get it done. Um, folks around there in the neighborhood, you know, we, we all love our a lot of things about our neighborhoods the way they are. So people aren't into growth. They think the developers are getting over, so they kind of dig in. And you wind up with this shrill, what we call Rebney versus NIMBY doom loop, the Real Estate Board of New York and kind of pro-growth interests. Um, against folks who are skeptical of growth, and we never wind up with a serious conversation about how to balance, plan for, share fairly, um, and invest in the infrastructure for the kinds of growth that we need. So what we want to do is say, all right, every so often, and we're pretty open, we could do it every 10 years, like a lot of cities do. We could do it every four years on the mayoral cycle and say, let's take a step back and plan broadly for the kinds of land use and infrastructure decisions we want to make. Let's measure those problems, track the affordability problems, figure out what infrastructure is most strained, think about how we want to share growth more fairly and make sure that its benefits and its burdens um, are shared fairly across communities, and keep an eye on these long-term issues of sustainability and resilience and climate change, and try to put a broad citywide strategic plan together that brings our infrastructure planning and our capital plan and our land use planning in the subsequent rezonings and development proposals that we're going to make. We're not going to get every detail, but at least we have a shared set of values, some shared data analysis, um, and a set of guiding principles and goals that will shape the subsequent decisions we make. And then after that, when we put the capital budget together, when zoning and land use actions come, they have to be measured against that plan. And if they're aligned with it, then they move forward smoothly. And if they're not, um, then they have a harder time. Is part of the premise for that argument uh, an idea that New York City simply needs to grow much more, that it needs to be much denser in order to achieve various policy goals. Is that is that kind of part of what underlies well, this this movement? And if so, how do you how do you then kind of sell that? Because as you mentioned, anywhere you go there there is generally some resistance to to the city growing denser. And I, I guess I wonder if if a, a citywide approach versus neighborhood by neighborhood is going to um, solve that political problem. Yeah, I mean, look, comprehensive planning is a good idea whether or not you're facing a future of growth. So comprehensive planning is not automatically pro-growth. Like, we're going to face straining infrastructure and climate change, whether the population of New York City continues to rise, as it has for the last two decades, um, or whether that would stop and it would start shrinking. And obviously, a good thing to do would be to ground your planning in data about what you think is happening and make the best projections you can and plan for it. So. Um, uh, you know, I believe that in the in the coming decades, the city is going to continue to grow. People want to move here. They want to be here. The form of the knowledge economy that we have keeps drawing people here. You know, a lot of us like me, I grew up in St. Louis, and I moved to New York, and I love being here. And I'm not going to tell anybody else that wants to come from St. Louis that, that, you know, or any kids who grow up here, we don't have room for you. But comprehensive planning is a good idea, uh, regardless of whether you think we're facing growth. I think we are. 
and failing to plan strategically and inclusively for it puts burdens on people. We've got a pretty unequal city. So if we aren't thoughtful about how we do it, we're going to exacerbate those inequalities. And if we keep our head in the sand about it, we're not going to be able to get out in front of it, and we're going to have more infrastructure failures. Now, you're right. Look, I I live in a three-story row house on a lovely block with a church and a school on one hand and a bodega and, you know, a lovely commercial strip at Fifth Avenue on the other. I love my neighborhood, and, and I don't love change or new big buildings any more than anybody else. Um, I guess what I'd say is I think we have a better chance of um, making good plans together if we all try to face it honestly and think about what the challenges are and what the burdens are. And when you think your neighborhood was like targeted for reasons nobody explained and you don't understand and just like a developer getting over on you and nobody ever tried to step back and say, here are the challenges that a city is facing. How do we face them together and how do we share both the benefits and the burdens fairly? That's what comprehensive planning tries to do. And I think the best example we have for how it can work comes just a couple months ago out of Minneapolis. Minneapolis is required by the state of Minnesota to do comprehensive plan every 10 years. And they face a lot of the same challenges in a different way than we do, for sure. But they're growing as well. And they realized they couldn't have most of their cities currently zoned for single-family homes. And they know they need to allow the building of more multifamily buildings if they're going to meet their affordability crisis. Um, If they had ULERP and it was like, which neighborhood will go first? No neighborhood would have gone first, but because they had a citywide conversation, they actually, their city council voted to um, upzone around transit corridors and um, change single-family zoning. They got a lot of work to do, too, to make sure that growth is inclusive, tenants are protected. Um, But I think it shows that we are capable, when invited in together to make good planning decisions, to, to rise to challenges and to let our better selves lead a little, rather than just our most protective ones. So we want to get to a couple other topics with you, but one more, at least for me, on this uh, topic. And we, we sort of started this conversation by you noted that the City Charter Revision Commission, which just completed its work and it decided what will be on the ballot in November, 19 proposals uh, in five questions that voters will have on their November ballot. Well, comprehensive planning is not one thing that made it. The, the Charter Revision Commission decided not to include that. So that being said, you've made some of your case for doing it. Is there a way that you can push this ahead in the city council? Um, you know, we asked council member Justin Brandon this last week, actually, about aren't the conversations around crafting the capital budget supposed to sort of incorporate some of these long term planning goals anyway? And so, you know, that can be even broadened to a question, you know, to you about, well, why can't the city council move ahead either legislatively or just in practice on doing a lot of this on on your own? So uh, Antonio Reynoso and I committed in an op-ed up on Gotham Gazette today (laughs) to do all we can in the city council to move this conversation forward. And and I really promise to do that. And as we start to face the 2021 citywide elections, I think that's an important conversation um, that really is about the future of the city. That said, we're going to need a referendum and some charter changes to do this right because – the way it has to work is after you after you agree on a plan, subsequent ULERP actions and subsequent capital budgets have to have a strong incentive or requirement or pull to follow the plan. 
And right now, the charter lays out the process. And to do that, to make it so that zoning actions that go through ULERP in the future or capital budgets as they go through in the future have a requirement or at least an incentive uh, to follow a comprehensive plan, that will eventually require charter change. But yes, the council's got an opportunity to lead here. We could do a lot more, and we're working on some legislation uh, that will get the process started, lay out what it would look like. Um, Look, the council, we can pass legislation that then would go on the ballot for a referendum. So we can't give up. These are big long-term issues. We're going to have more weeks like last week, you know, in the in the coming climate future. Uh, the issues of affordability and inequality in the city are stuck. We're stuck with them. Um, and we're, we're not giving up. I, I am angry. Like, I think it was a big failing of the Charter Revision Commission. They knew this was a giant issue. So many people came and testified. They even, in the staff report, identified the shortcomings in the planning process. So I think it's a, a big miss on their part. But we are committed to moving forward because we just don't have any choice. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI. We're on with Councilmember Brad Lander. If you want to call in and ask a question, the number is 212-209-2877. Councilman, let's shift gears for a second to desegregation, which is a topic that you have uh, prioritized, a conversation you've prioritized. Uh, You've assessed some of the progress to date. And I know there's a a progress report coming from uh, the advisory group in August. What do you see coming out of there? And and kind of where are we in this conversation? Yeah. So I want to start with a bit of optimism because I do think this is a, a tough area to see progress. Um, the, it's easier to make kind of polarizing politics out of, um, and showing that we can make progress is one important thing. So this fall, in just, uh, I guess, about uh, six weeks or so, uh, less than that even now, um, about 2,000 sixth-grade students are going to show up in my community school district, District 15, um, at middle schools, 11 middle schools, that are far more integrated than they were last September, uh, because we've gone through this process of of achieving a substantial approach to school integration for the District 15 middle schools by not allowing the schools to screen students and noting that about 52% of students in District 15 uh, are low income, you know, qualify for free and reduced lunch. And so the goal ought to be that every one of those 11 middle schools is balanced. And that was not true last year, the year before, and it is going to be true this September. And that's not enough by itself. The schools are doing a lot of work to get ready for those students. Achieving real integration is more than just shifting students around, and I'd urge people to go to d15diversityplan.com if you want to really dig in on what it looks like. But I, I feel pretty hopeful about that because it is, it's not anywhere near enough. It's just getting started. But it shows we can do it, that we can work through the politics together. District 15 is pretty um, diverse. In many ways, it reflects um, – a lot of the racial demographics of the city and we had a really inclusive planning process we made a big change some people you know are skeptical but the significant majority are supportive and i really am optimistic that our kids are going to thrive in these more integrated schools so um, that said, we got a long, long, long way to go. Um, we're finally starting, but you know um, we haven't made any pro- uh, meaningful progress yet at the high school level. Our elementary schools are stubbornly segregated. Um, there's, you know, most of our middle schools remain looking like what District 15 looked like last so, year. Yeah. So what? I mean, what? Get moving. What needs to be done? I mean, you know, I think it, it'd be, you know, even a little bit generous to say that the mayor has taken a, you know, a, a slow. Approach 
approach to this, um, but there has been movement both locally, as you indicated, um, in areas you represent, but then also even at the DOE and mayoral level, there's been some more movement uh, recently. And, and the new chancellor, Richard Carranza, has certainly seemed to prioritize it more than his predecessor. Um, but what are, in order for it not to take potentially decades, uh, what are the, the key steps that need to be taken? Yeah, and I, I do support the recommendation of the School Diversity Advisory Group, which Chancellor Carranza indicated that the administration supports uh, almost all of, um, and they are a good step. One big step in there is to provide resources and start a planning process with uh, about 10 other middle school districts that are like District 15 and could make the changes that we're making this year um, in another year or two. So that would be a great step. Thousands more kids could be in integrated middle schools through a middle school process like what we've done in D15. High schools are a big opportunity, and most of the focus has been on the specialized high schools, but we have about 400 high schools, and other than those eight, the city sets the uh, the admissions guidelines, and we could move to a process that required integration in New York City's high schools, where kids travel to schools all across the city, so we aren't um, burdened with the kind of presence of residential segregation, um, and that's a process that has not yet gotten started and um, was not even in really the School Diversity Advisory Group recommendations, so I'd like to see a serious process on the screened high schools and on New York City high schools more, more broadly beyond the specialized ones. Um, the hardest will be digging in on the elementary schools. Yeah, I was going to just that, ask about that. Mm-hmm. That is an area where, you know, what we basically do is ha- is have zoned elementary schools, and we've got a residentially segregated city, one of the most residentially segregated in the, in the country, although we don't always um, really see it that way it is. Um, we're doing something actually in my district um, that I think is starting to open up a conversation about thinking differently about elementary schools when new school capacity comes online, as it is in Carroll Gardens um, and Cobble Hill, so I'd encourage people to keep an eye out there. Um, And I think it's worth remembering here that actually about 40% of New York City's elementary school students and something like 60% of African-American students don't actually go to their zone school. So we have more flexibility here than than we think, um, but that also is going to require bolder action than we've been willing to, to take so far. But hopefully both the like being having it called to our attention, you know, and when Kamala Harris, you know, put it out there on the debate stage, oh, people will wake up and say, huh, all right, um, that's something we ought to be willing to seriously talk about and take on. And then having the concrete examples of doing it in ways that work, um, as we are going to see in D15 this fall, that push and pull. Um, is what we need. And you're right. We could let it take decades more. It is 65 years since Brown versus Board, and we have not made much progress. So we need both a stronger sense of urgency and these real concrete steps. Um, And we are capable of it. So um, I hope we will. We have a listener call. Uh, Listener, you're on the air. What's your question for Councilmember Brad Lander? Oh, yes. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I've never seen... I live in New York all my life. I've never seen a city where you have people that come from Philly, D.C. to work in Manhattan. And, um, like, you know, they were talking about the bike situation earlier. And, um, you know, a lot of people have those electric skateboards and unicycles. And I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's wonderful, man. Do you, do you have a question? Have 
question for us or just making a comment on uh, the the wonderful city that we have? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, I think. We're gonna we're gonna we're running low on time here, so we thank you for listening and thank you for the call. Uh, I agree with the caller. It is yes, a wonderful city. it's great that people come here from here, all here. over. Uh, <laughs> Councilmember Lander will get you uh, out of here on just one or two more questions. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I wonder. You know, I think we were talking uh, earlier about the uh, debate tonight, and obviously uh, our mayor will be on stage as a, a self-identified progressive. How do you evaluate his record, Mayor De Blasio's, as a progressive? Uh, well, so first I should say, since you've raised the specter of the of the presidential debate, I'm uh, I'm a proud endorser of Elizabeth Warren, who I thought was amazing last night, and I thought that line she said, you know, I don't know why anybody would do, I'll take all the trouble to run for president to talk about, you know, what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for, it was just one of the the great lines of the of the campaign so far. Um, you know, I have worked with the administration and with the mayor on a on a lot of things over the years, you know, and I think the we get in a litany of what the accomplishments are, almost as like, uh, you know, kind of not paying real attention to them. But the pre-K expansion is enormous. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think there are just a whole range of other issues. We have built and preserved a whole lot of affordable housing, and every single deal is hard to do. Um, and while we have not gotten enough done on, on Vision Zero, there's a lot of areas we've made real strides on. Um, so I, 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 there's a lot of things I've praised. That said, you know, the problems here are urgent, and they, at the moment, are just not getting enough attention. Um, and, you know, on each of these issues we've talked about, on school segregation, on planning for the city's future, on affordable housing and homelessness, and on Vision Zero and saving the lives of pedestrians and cyclists, um, and, you know, I spent uh, a few hours last weekend in the heat emergency in a boiling hot Brooklyn house of detention, which were really like uh, human rights violating conditions. Those are all things that require urgent action. Um, we need a lot more progress on all those things in our city. Um, and that really is what I, I want us to be focusing on. So come home, Mr. Mayor, as soon as possible and, and get back to work on some of those issues. Here, here. <laughs> um, last question. Uh, speaking of Vision Zero, you are looking to pass legislation uh, related to uh, reckless drivers. We just have one more minute here, but um, will you, A, uh, briefly explain what that is, and B, are we on the verge of seeing that passed, or is that is it looking uh, indefinitely on hold? Yeah. So we've done a lot to look at street um, street redesign, which is critically important, but we have not looked much at this question of the most reckless drivers. And about a year ago in my district, a reckless driver killed a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And it turned out she had five camera violations in the preceding year, which put her in the 99th percentile of reckless drivers. But about 25,000 drivers are out there with equally bad or worse records, people who are really drive sociopathically with their car, like a weapon aimed at their neighbors. And you see them out on the street. So, you know, it's not most drivers, but a small percentage really cause a lot of harm. And my bill would focus on those most reckless drivers and say, we're going to make you do some accountability program. You got to get become a better driver or we're going to take your car away because you can't drive it like a weapon aimed at your neighbors. And yes, I'm optimistic. It's, there's a lot of complexities, but um, I'm optimistic we're going to get that bill passed this fall. 
so the program could go into effect next year. And it's the car that gets taken away or the driver's license? Uh, so the, all the state licenses the driver. Right, right, what right. we do, what we could do is tow the car. I'd love to work with the state to get those things integrated better together, but these camera violations tell us which are the cars gotcha. that are being driven like weapons, and that's what we'll have the ability to go after. All right, Councilmember Brad Lander, we're going to have to leave it there. We have lots more to discuss with you next time we have you on, but thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you've been listening to Max and Murphy here on WBAI. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Uh, between those shows, you can follow us at GothamGazette.com, CityLimits.org. He's Ben Max. I'm Jarrett Murphy. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News, and have a great week in the greatest city in the world. 